Welcome to Hope Found. This is a podcast about doing life with God. I found hope in the one and only true God through my salvation in Jesus. And I want to share my journey with God via the scriptures and personal interactions. Many of the podcasts will have a study of scriptures and others will contain interviews with other people and their stories finding hope in God. Welcome. My name is Hope Ellsworth, and my husband, John, is here also joining me today. Hello, hello. And um, we are going to take a look at Psalms 23 and see the hope that God provides us through Psalms 23. And so I I also want to just invite you, because I know that if you've been in church or around any kind of scripture teaching at any point or for a while, you have heard this psalm probably several times, many different messages concerning it, um, maybe even possibly memorized it. And I'm right there with you. But anytime that God brings me back to a chapter or a portion of scripture that's like that, I ask him, please show me what's new in this, because the scripture is alive and the Holy Spirit is more than willing to reveal more things. There's always more. And so I invite you today to join me with Psalms 23 with fresh eyes and fresh ears to hear what the Spirit has to say that we can apply to our lives. So I'm just going to go ahead and read straight through it, and then we will break it down. Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, so let's start in verse 1. The Lord. Yes, I'm going to stop there. If we're truly making God our Lord, then we need to make him Lord over our life everything that we have. What does that mean? That means that we need to surrender everything to him. Everything we are, everything we have, everything we will be, we need to surrender it to him. Whether we believe we can do things in our own strength or not, many times people will choose to go to God and surrender something because they've done everything that they can. And there's nothing else that they can think of to do. So they come to God and they say, God, I surrender this to you. I don't know what to do. I'm throwing my hands up in the air. Please help me with this. Which is a good thing. But as we grow and mature, we need to learn that surrendering to him means surrendering everything to him, even if we can do it, even if we do have some kind of control over it. Control, that's a key word. We like to control. I don't care who you are, where you're from. I believe we all have a problem with control. And 
choosing to surrender everything to God is giving him full control over everything. And we all have an issue with surrendering control. Even if it's to God who knows everything and who made us, it's still hard to let go of it. Has there ever been a time, John, in your life that you had a hard time giving up control and surrendering something to God? Well, that sounds like a loaded question, Hope. <laughs> I think you already know those answers, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's probably been a, a lot of those times. Uh, the the time that I most uh, that comes to mind as you ask me that question today um, probably has to do with uh, when we made our last move. It was really um, looking at the fact that, um, well, okay. Obviously, in that situation, we were, uh, you know, we I had worked for a large corporation for a long time, and mm-hmm. and while I always knew that the positions that I had and that I had attained um, were a direct result of God's grace and God um, right. blessing us with that, um, you know, as a person, you still come back to the fact that well, those were things that I earned; those were things that I was able to do um, because of who I am. And I, and I think that that's human nature, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, coming into some, coming into any situation. Um, I think I just, I, I looked at it like my job was to earn money to support our family and all of those things. And so, uh, when we made our last move in, in 2018, uh, you know, we had been going through a, a situation for a number of months where, uh, where it seemed like make, making a move and, and relocating our family was the right thing to do. Uh, it went against the, it went against logic when it came to how we would be supported and, and where the finances would come from. Right. And, uh, and I think that for me in that situation, it was so hard to, to give up control because all I could think was the moment that I, that I'm, that I start the process and pull the trigger and say, let's go. That's when I've given up. I've given up control at that point because here we go. Uh, and I have nothing, I have nothing to go to. Right. Uh, and so it came down to that realization again, things that I already knew, but, you know, you have to kind of come to grips with it is the fact of, I have to just give it to God and I have to trust him and, and we're going to just do this. And it becomes that leap of faith moment. And so for me, that would be, uh, that would be the the one that comes to mind. Right. That's completely understandable. I think it was for all of us, even including the kids, it was quite the, not that they really had an option, but, um, you know, it was the leap of faith for our family. And, um, I can't help but to think that it definitely helped us to choose to surrender even more than what we did in the past. Yeah. To to surrender everything because as we do and if we are in a state of mind in a place of heart where we're choosing to surrender everything to him all the time, it's not necessarily a mountain that's so high that we have to climb to give it to him. Mm-hmm. because it's kind of like, now that I'm thinking about it, you know, tithing and giving. And if you have a state of heart where it's all from him anyways, we're stepping in obedience. Yeah, we know that we'll probably be blessed one way or another because that's what he promises us, but it's all his anyways. Mm-hmm. So it just comes down to, okay, you just walk in obedience and you do it. And it's not the struggle necessarily, you know, that a lot of times people might have concerning that. So, all right. So the Lord is my shepherd. 
shepherd is, uh, you know, we, we've read this, the Lord is my shepherd and we know this and we embrace it. We think, but do we, if he's our shepherd, then we're following him. Yeah, I believe in Jesus and he died for me and he's in my heart and I'm going to go to heaven. But if he's our shepherd, that means we follow him. You know, I've never seen a sheep argue with a shepherd. You know, <laughs> true. <laughs> we, we, we tend to do that sometimes. Um, the sheep probably would wander a little bit, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but um, but they don't typically argue with the shepherd. They know that the shepherd has their well-being in mind. They know the shepherd loves them and they follow the shepherd all the time. So the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In previous times, I've looked at this part of the scripture and I feel like, okay, yes, God gives us everything that we need. You know, he has everything we need, but I can't want for anything. Because, you know, it's not Christian if we want things. We just let God meet our needs because we shouldn't ask for anything else, right? Which, yes, but that's the way I look at this. I believe that if we are in this relationship, if we have surrendered everything to him, if we are following him in that context, God puts dreams in our hearts. We have wants. We have things that we like. And I believe that those things matter to him. I believe that he wants to bless us with those things. Now, is it 100% of what we want? No, thank God it's not. Because, you know, that one person that you really wanted to date way back when, and you really wanted it, and you asked for it, and God said no, you look back on it. In hindsight, you say, thank you, God, <laughs> for not letting me enter that relationship. And that could be applied to almost anything. So it's his mercy that does not grant us everything that we want. But in the context of our relationship with him, I believe that he wants to give us the things that we want that we maybe not necessarily need. I mean, if you think about it, is us as earthly parents, we want our kids to say what they want for Christmas, what they want for their birthdays, because we want to give them the things that they desire because we love them. So how much more would our Heavenly Father want to do that for us? And thankfully, he knows everything, so he doesn't give us those things that we really want that are not good for us. But I, I do believe that. But it's also a state of mind of understanding and knowing that everything that we need is in him. He has access and he has everything that we need. So it's, it's a state of mind. It's a, it's a place of our heart understanding that we really don't want. We, we will want for nothing because he has everything that we need. Okay, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. It's an amazing verse, and there's a whole lot in there. I don't feel like I'm supposed to focus on that one today, possibly for another time. Verse 3. He restores my soul. I would really like to unpack this one today. So... What does it mean to you to restore something, John? Uh, to, to restore something, it's to say that here's something that once was that needs 
to be brought back to what it what it once was so you know it was something and then over time maybe it's faded or it's broken or it's um you know nature has taken its course on it and so it needs to be restored to be brought back to its original its original life or whatever right right exactly and that's exactly how i see it too um i kind of like the part that you said that nature's taken its course (laughs) Because in these specific circumstances, that's exactly what it was. Our sinful nature has taken the course. And we need to be restored back to not just what we were before the situation, but back to our original state, Adam and Eve before they sinned in the garden. And that's the goal of all of it, right? That's the goal of our relationship with God. That's the goal of our salvation, of our holiness, of being restored. Um, in many things in the Bible, when we come to Christ and we submit our lives and we choose to live for him, we're saved. He's made us holy. He's restored us. However, it's an ongoing process all the time. He continually is saving us. He is continually making us holy. He is continually restoring us. It's always a process because we still do live in this broken world. And we still have our flesh that we tend to battle sometimes. It likes to rear its ugly head sometimes. So it's important to understand that he does restore our souls, but it's an ongoing process. So soul here, I would like to um, view it as our mind and our emotions and our mind and our emotions that have a direct effect on our choices or our actions. So he restores our soul. Much of what we do, of who we are, um, even our relationship with God, it comes to us intellectually first. If we want to know God, we read the scriptures. It goes through our mind first. Whenever somebody might share a word of encouragement with you, it goes through your mind first. Your mind has to filter. It has to process it, right? So the mind is the gateway. So what better place for him to start with restoring our mind? And then what we think, what we put in, has a direct effect on our emotions. So, you know, I don't know if you've heard this before. I've heard it about a million times, mainly in youth group, junk in, junk out, right? Mm -hmm. So on the positive side, putting the word in, listening to other Christians have encouraging words and all of these things, the things that I'm hoping to promote through this podcast. Taking all that good stuff in, helps to have us a better state state of mind, which does have a reflect on our emotions, which in turn affects what we do. So have you ever been in a place where you're like, I know that this isn't the right thing to do, and so I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, and you are taking action, trying to with your hands. I know that I shouldn't 
you know, do this particular thing or say this particular thing. And um, let's just say it's with anger. And so, you know, you're like, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. And then you get home and you explode on the next person that you see. So, yeah, you were able to control it for a minute, maybe, but not necessarily taking care of it. <laughs> um, so that's where we're trying to control our actions because we know that there is a right way of living and that there's a, a, a place that God calls us to in a way of living. And we want to do that. However, we can't do that. We can't do it in our own control. No matter how much you've tried it, it never works, at least not for more than two minutes. It just doesn't work. So he needs to restore our soul. One of those ways is Romans 12.2, my, my life verse, I guess I could say. It's definitely one of my favorites, but it's definitely a life verse for me. Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. God longs to renew our minds. This is applicable across the board and also in particular situations. I encourage you that if you are facing something that you're having a hard time going through or facing or changing in your life, pray this verse over it. Pray, God, renew my mind concerning this to transform the way that I interact with it. And I promise you, he will do that. This is something that only God can do. Only God can renew our minds, which in turn transforms our feelings, which has a direct effect on our actions. So instead of trying to control our actions in any particular situation or with that person who just rubs you the wrong way every single time you see them, how about you pray, God, renew my mind. Help me to see them the way that you see them so that my emotions and my actions are different concerning that person or that situation. So he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, which is what we kind of already just referred to. He restores my soul so that he leads me in a right path. He leads me, but he enables me to walk that right path by renewing our souls. We couldn't do it without him. He shows us the right way, but he also enables us by renewing our souls. So then we can walk that righteous, that upright path. Why? Because his name's on us. We represent him. Whether you go around advertising it or not, people know that you're different. And if we're able to, the majority of the time, walk that right path, we're reflecting him. And it's for his name's sake. Okay, verse four. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So this time around, reading through this, I decided to look into the actual shadow of death. I'm sorry, the valley of the shadow of death. So this is actually the Kindron Valley. It's east of Jerusalem that David was most likely referring to. In this valley, people used to sacrifice their children 
to Baal and Molech, two gods, two obviously false gods, but they used to sacrifice their children in this Kindron Valley. I just, I mean, I can't even wrap my mind around that, but I know that those things have happened, and this is a valley that it happened in. To this day, no one lives there. It's a very desolate valley. Pretty much the only thing that's there are tombs because it is east of Jerusalem and the people there believe that that is where the Messiah will come and they want to be the first to meet him. So they have, they built tombs there that people can be buried in uh, so that they can be the first ones to see the Messiah. There's also a picture in the Bible that's painted where there is a fire there. And the children of Israel believe that they will look at that fire in that valley and say that it's hell. Another part is that um, it is east of Jerusalem, like I said. So the majority of the day, it's shadowed by the mountain that Jerusalem's on. So that's where the shadow part comes in. So though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, So David writes this. David, when David was fleeing Absalom, when he was trying to take over, and David was fleeing from Absalom, he walked through this valley. He, him and his men, they walked through this valley. Now, I like to sometimes use my imagination. This is not directly in the Bible, but when I put myself in their positions, And I think about if I'm walking through this valley that is known for its death, no one's there except for tombs, which definitely speak to death. And there were children of all people murdered there for false gods. I kind of think about, you know, if you hear something that has happened in a house that's by you where, you know, this family was brutally murdered. People don't want to go there. It gives them a horrible sense of creepy, you know, just haunted, whatever you want to call it. And so I can only imagine that going through this valley was not really a place where people would go for the scenic route. It would be a place where you would have to go through if you really wanted to get point A to point B and you really didn't have much other choice. Um, So, you know, he's so David's talking about that in this chapter about going through the valley of the shadow of death. And he says, I will fear no evil. I don't know many people who choose to go to haunted houses who are expecting to fear no evil. I think that, you know, we're coming up on October and people love going to those things to get frightened. Um, But here David's saying that I will walk through this valley where it only speaks of death but I will fear no evil. Another interesting fact about that valley is that whenever Jesus was captured in Gethsemane, he actually walked through the Kindron Valley, this particular valley, to get to Jerusalem. And again, my imagination, I can't help but to think that he was possibly reciting this psalm as he walked through that valley. He was a good Jewish boy, and they 
used these psalms as songs. They, it was a regular thing that they would use these psalm, all these different psalms to sing and to worship God and to remind themselves. So I can't help but to think that possibly that was stirring in his mind and in his heart as he was walking through there knowing what he was going to. But yet he could fear no evil because he knew the purpose that God had on him. Okay, so the next part of that verse says, for you are with me. That's exactly why he could walk through that horrible valley that had these horrible feelings, I'm sure, that came along with it. But he knew that God was with him, both of them. Jesus knew that God the Father was right there with him. He was fulfilling his purpose. David knew that God's call was on his life. And so he could walk that fearing no evil because God was with him. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So I have my own feelings on that from the past, but what does that mean to you? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I mean, I think when you're trying to think of it from a comfort perspective, you want it to be, um, it's making me feel good. It's... uh, it's reassuring me that you're here. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like that idea of uh, someone who's walking beside you and they put their arm around you. Mm. So I guess that's how I might look at that. Right. Well, for the longest time, whenever I read that, I read your rod. And immediately it would trigger the scripture, spare the rod, <laughs> spoil the child. Wow. I tell you what, I got the belt grown up. Not going to lie. So that verse for the longest time did not fit in this chapter for me. Now, there are parts of scripture that I read and I'm like, okay, God, this doesn't fit for me. My experience, what the things that you've shown me, this doesn't fit. I don't understand how this fits. However, I choose to embrace it because I truly, truly believe that all of scripture is truly God-breathed. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit, so I embrace it. But I always request, please bring me back around to help me understand how this fits. Because for the longest time, I didn't understand how the belt would bring me comfort. Mm. So he did. He's faithful. And he has shown me this. So my understanding as, as a shepherd, when a shepherd is a new shepherd and he um, will go out and he will find a, a decent sized stick or a sapling that's out in the in, out in the woods, and he will carve it and he will make it his rod. And it says rod and staff, and they could kind of both be used for both of these things. The staff usually would have a hook on the top of it, which would help assist if they needed to help uh, pull one of the sheep closer into the you know, if they needed to kind of get it around their neck to pull them in, but the rod and the staff. So I'm just going to talk about the rod mainly, but they're both very similar in their use. Um, But he would get this sapling. He would whittle it down. This was something that was very, very personal. It only was his, which is why he created it. He would learn how to throw it so that it would make a whistling sound. Now, This whistling sound, he would learn how to throw it and his sheep would hear this whistling sound and they would know there's danger. Um, Whether they were kind of going towards a cliff 
or maybe there was a predator that was out there. It was a warning sign to the sheep. If I hear this noise, I need to definitely find the shepherd and follow his voice. So that was one of the purposes of the rod. The, uh, another purpose of it was to do just that. Um, when he was closer to the sheep, he could push them in. Nope, that's, you know, uh, don't go that way. Just kind of go this way. Another uh, purpose is whenever they would go in, in and out of the sheep gate into their pen, let's just say at night, um, as they would go through, he would use the rod to kind of pull back the fur a little bit, pull back their wool, and just kind of do like a quick check of their skin to make sure that they're doing okay. And so that was just another way of taking care of them. So in light of this, in what a true rod and staff are for, the sheep, it just set right with me. That's why it was bringing him comfort. He's saying that God's rod and staff, they comfort him as, as he is our shepherd and he leads us. Um, another part of it, too, does have to do with bringing correction. And we all, whether we want to or not, no matter how young we are, we do need and we do crave correction. Um, if my parents never tried to bring me in a line with the good morals and the, and the things that they thought was right, ultimately I would feel very insecure and I would feel like they didn't care about me because they didn't bother. And so there is an element there that is um, bringing correction and uh, discipline uh, that does bring us comfort. So I think that it is all of that. So verse five says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I'm going to ask you again, what does that mean to you, John? I guess when I think about that, it's a, uh, I mean, when I think, when it says prepare a table, of course I think of it from the perspective of like a meal, preparing for a meal. Right. Um, and so specific to that verse, I think that uh, saying that God is going to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies could mean that he's preparing it no matter where you are, mm-hmm. that, uh, that he's going to prepare this table and that the people around you may not, they're not necessarily your friends. They're not necessarily people that are on your team. Um, but that's, but God's still going to prepare that for you mm. because he, he, that's what he's doing. He's mm-hmm. always going before us and preparing. That's good. I like that. I, th- I, I mean, again, God can bring any number of d- these different verses to us in different ways, depending on the season that we're in and show us different things in it. Um, preparing a table before me, I do picture just that. I picture a meal and I picture more than enough. <laughs> mm. It's just a table. It's like one of those King's tables that just has like a ridiculous amount of food with like three people sitting at it. And, um, but even, even more than that, um, having a meal with somebody is just an intimate thing. It's, it's something that you get to share a meal together. That was something that, you know, the last supper when they did communion, when they, it is a togetherness, it's us doing it together with food that there's just an intimate thing with that. And, um, in this case, for me, I'm, specifically thinking about the enemy is Satan. And 
So, you know, again, my imagination, I like to put myself in the place. So me and God were sitting, you know, in front of this feast and we're just talking. We're having this time together, this intimate time of sharing and, and, and just talking together. And the, the enemy is off not too far and he sees this and he knows he can't touch me. He knows that I am in this relationship with God, that I am having this close, intimate time with him. And, and then I think that Satan, Lucifer, used to be there. He was one of the archangels, if you don't know that. He was Lucifer. He had the opportunity. He was in God's presence. He had opportunity to have this closeness with God, but he desired to be God, and that was his fall, and that's how he became Satan. So I can't help but to think that he's sitting there being jealous because that's where he did have that at one point. He, he knew what it was to be in God's presence and to, and to serve him and to have that relationship with him. The other part of it is that he wanted to be God. So how cool is it that once he decided that he wanted that and he fell, that God chose to create us in his image in order to defeat the enemy. And now he's looking on at us who were created in God's image and God having this closeness and this relationship. He sees, he knows our relationship. We need to remember that a whole lot more whenever he comes with his lies and he's trying to break us up. You know, he's like that person in school that didn't like when you dated. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just trying to break you up. Anyways, so those are just kind of a few of the thoughts that I have uh, when I think about this verse. The next part is, you anoint my head with oil. So maybe some of you have been in a church where they just kind of dip their finger in the oil and they do this nice little cross on your head and they pray for you. That's all cool and all. But what David's referring to is when they anointed people back in the Bible times, it was a jug of oil that they would pour over your head. I mean, you're washing your hair for days trying to get this oil out. You're never wearing those clothes again because they're so saturated with oil. I mean, it is dousing you in oil. So the first part I want us to think about, well, first of all, David, when he was first anointed king, was he was just around 13. So um, just to kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Um, but when the oil is poured over, the first thing it covers is your what? Your face. Or your... Top of your head. Your head. And, um, you know, that's where we think. That's our mind. Mm -hmm. He renews, he restores our soul, which is our mind. So he anoints our head with oil. And the first thing it covers is our mind. It's the Holy Spirit. As the oil continues to go down, it goes over your eyes. The Holy Spirit adjusts our perspective 
and how we see things. The next thing it goes over is your ears. The Holy Spirit helps you hear what is really being said. It helps us to hear the voice of God. And then it can cover your mouth. So once our soul is restored, our minds, it helps us to say the right thing. And then it goes on to the rest of our bodies. It helps us to do the right thing. I never saw the connection in between you anoint my head with oil and you restore my soul so closely than this time I've gone through it. And I just think it's just this beautiful picture and it just really links it together. And he's so faithful and he will continue to anoint us. We need it every day. Every day we need his anointing. We need him. We need the Holy Spirit to help restore our soul so that we can walk this upright and show God's love and his hope for everyone around us. Um, Another part of that is that David, when he was anointed king, he was just about 13, which was before he faced Goliath. So when all of Israel was shaking in their boots because Goliath was intimidating them, the enemy was throwing out horrible things he's saying about God's people. And they were hearing them and they were believing them. And they saw his stature and it intimidated them. But David had been anointed. He knew from being in God's presence, for being anointed, that he was set aside for God's use. He saw things differently. He heard things differently, which affected his emotions and his actions. He was willing to step into that position. He knew full well how little he was. He knew. And even Saul's armor that he wanted him to wear wasn't going to do him a bit of good but weigh him down. He didn't need that because he had God all over him. His relationship with God is what he stood before Goliath in because he was anointed. So whenever we realize and we choose to spend that time with him, we surrender to God, we choose to follow him as our shepherd. We're in this relationship. He restores our soul. Whenever the enemy wants to try to step up to us, we can step up to him knowing who we have in us, knowing and seeing how God sees the situation and we can stand up to him in the strength of God. The final verse is, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Well, the word follow here is not a good English option, in my opinion. When you look at this word follow in the Hebrew, it is better translated hunt or chase after. And so I just think that this verse is a beautiful picture. I mean, if I want anything to be hunting me down or to chase me, it's God's goodness and his mercy. Because let's face it, we all mess up. We all mess up. And none of us are beautiful or nice or anything else outside of God. I mean, truly, we can fake it sometimes, but, but truly. 
And so whenever we do mess up, I love the idea that his mercy is hunting me down. It is chasing after me. That his mercy is there for me, not just there and available, but chasing after me for whenever I do mess up. His mercy is right there. And his goodness, I mean, who doesn't want to see his goodness? Who doesn't want to experience his goodness? His goodness is chasing after us all the days of our lives. I just, I love the picture of that. I think it's so beautiful. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's what it is to submit to God, to choose to follow him all the days of your life, is to dwell in his house, dwell in his presence, and abide in his presence forever. Thanks for joining me again today. I really pray that you are able to glean the hope that I really desire to bring to all the listeners through Psalms 23 today. And I want to thank John for his input and for being here as always. And uh, until next time, continue to put your hope in the one and only true God. Thank you.